Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is certainly good to see everybody today. Welcome. Glad you're here on campus. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, thank you for joining us this morning. We know the service will be a blessing to you. Turn to somebody sitting nearby. Tell them good morning. Glad to see them in church. Tell them bundle up. It's cold outside. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm expecting great things this morning. I know you are too. Before we begin worshiping this morning, our worship set, let me just remind you of a couple of things this uh, coming up in, this week and in the following days. Uh, this coming Tuesday, of course, is morning prayer here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock, so please make a note of that. And then don't forget that on Wednesday night, November the 23rd, our service will be dismissed due to the Thanksgiving holiday, so you want to make a note of that. And then finally, so excited to announce Grace uh, Christmas service, Christmas at Grace. Uh, we announced this for the first time Wednesday night, announcing it again this morning. Our theme is going to be God with us, and I am looking forward to that service. You're going to hear from a lot of different folks in our church, of course, the Christmas story and music and word. It's going to be a great time, and it's always a good service to bring somebody with you. So bring family members, neighbors, friends, and uh, let's just pack the place out and have an amazing celebration together of the Christmas story. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, if you will, today. And uh, the praise team is getting ready to lead us into the presence of God. But as they do, I'm just going to ask you to clap your hands, lift your voice, and let's welcome God's presence in this place. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you today, oh God.
It's impossible. I'm glad I know that today. I'm glad I know that today. I don't just believe it. I know it. I live it. Praise the Lord. Drop your hands one more time to Jesus, shall we? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Remain standing as you return to your seats. It's um, always amazing to be in the presence of the Lord. It has been in church all of my life, and I've never just taken the presence of God casually. I've always appreciated the opportunity to feel the presence of the Lord, to feel Him close to me. Thank the Lord. I want to welcome everybody here today. Thank you so very much for coming. All of our guests, thank you for being here today. You've made our day just, you've made our day better by being here. Thank you for coming to worship the Lord at Grace Church today. We appreciate it so very much. Those of you following us on Facebook Live and live stream. Uh, thank you so much for being with us as well. Again, somebody commented to me was at a funeral this week, and uh, somebody that doesn't attend church here said, uh, man, I really enjoy your Wednesday night Bible studies. I, I watch every one of them. And uh, it made my heart feel good to know that our, our media is doing a great job, and there's people that, that enjoy it, that appreciate it, and that uh, gain a whole lot from it. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> I'd like to call your attention to the word of the Lord today. And uh, I have a, a message that I believe God has given me that I've been anxious to preach now for the past four or five Sundays. And uh, today, it just worked out for today to be that day. And I know there's people here this morning, I'm confident that people are, there's people here this morning that uh, this will minister to you if you're open to it. Uh, if you'll open your mind, if you'll open your heart, um, God will speak to you today through the medium of the preached Word of God. Mark chapter 4, very familiar reading. In verse 34, the Bible said, But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, that is, Jesus and his disciples, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day when even was come, or when evening was come, he, Jesus, saith unto them, his disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. That doesn't sound optional to me. That doesn't sound wishy-washy to me. That sounds like Jesus is speaking with some authority here. He didn't ask his disciples, would you mind joining me on a nice little boat ride across the Sea of Galilee to the other side? He said, get in the boat with me. We're going to pass over to the other side. I want you to notice their response to that. They had sent the multitude away that day. He had fed the 5,000. And the Bible said they, they sent the multitude away, told them, we're glad you came and hope you enjoyed the meal. And uh, you're dismissed. And uh, when that happened, this is very interesting to me, and there's so much connotation in this next statement. The Bible said they took him even as he was. They didn't change a thing. There's a lot of connotation to that, and we're going to go into a little bit of it today. They took him even as he was in the ship. 
And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Everybody say pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto them, Unto the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why were you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to lift out of this scripture setting the first statement in verse 38. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. I want to speak to you for a little while today. I gave this a title. It would simply be this, Jesus and his pillow. Jesus and his pillow. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for your patience and standing. God bless you. You may be seated. Sister Murph will tell you here today that I have a very deep relationship with my pillow. Is there anybody else here today that, well, there's a, that is the quickest response I've gotten over any question I've ever, I didn't even finish a question. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Um, I'll give you a brief story. <clears throat> it seems like the older I get, the more complicated it is for me to sleep. And uh, my pastor, when I was a kid, said one time, the, when you get to a point in your life, when you're older and you can sleep, you can't sleep. And uh, that's a very true statement. And uh, so Sister Murph will tell you for probably the past six, eight, nine years, however long it's been, I have really struggled with my relationship with my pillow. Um, I tried the one that the man says is guaranteed the best, be the best pillow you'll ever sleep on. It'll change your life. I tried that pillow. It was an okay pillow. My problem with it is it weighed about 75 pounds. And so if you tried to move it during the night, it's like moving a sack of concrete. Uh, you put your hand up under it to sleep. It just it didn't work. <clears throat> I tried one. You fill it up with water, and the beauty of that pillow was you could determine the height of your pillow or how low it was. Uh, to determine you could determine that by the amount of water you put in it. That didn't work. I felt like I was sleeping in a swimming pool for some reason, and just my head, not the rest of my body, but my head was floating around in a swimming pool. That didn't work. So I finally, to make a long story short, came to uh, the conclusion that there was no pillow made for me <clears throat> and that I would never be able to have that amazing relationship with their pillow like a lot of people do, including Sister Murph. She's had the same pillow for a long, long time. She loves it. Uh, it's thin. Uh, I told her many times she could put a sheet of paper in a pillowcase and have about the same thing and uh, is what it is. And, uh, but she loves it, and that pillow travels with her everywhere we go. And um, so I finally just got desperate and got online, and I just started searching. I guess it's been almost a year ago now for a pillow, and I finally found one. See, he's a way maker, a miracle worker. There you go. And uh, so I finally found a pillow, and uh, it works for me. I wanted to start it to bring it this morning. I thought, nah, you'll, you'll get the point otherwise. But it does travel with me everywhere we go. And when we go places and take our dog in her little kennel, it rattles. 
And so this pillow is just perfect to set on top of that kennel, and it weighs just enough to keep the kennel from rattling. So I have a great relationship with my pillow. It makes our ride quieter when we're going places. I just, I'm excited about my pillow. Hallelujah. Amen. So there you go. I'm using that as a very silly and humorous segue into my message this morning that um, I believe that God ministered to me, woke me up out of a sleep, or at least I woke up out of a sleep. I believe he did it, the nudging of his spirit at about 5 o'clock one morning, about a month or so ago, and spoke to my heart this message. I was laying on my pillow when he spoke this to my heart. If you study in the Bible, people using a pillow in the Bible is only referenced about four times. Uh, Three times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament. My scripture focus today is obviously the setting out of the New Testament, but to begin today in what God has given me, uh, I will go to the Old Testament first. And I would like to talk to you for a few moments today about Jacob and his pillow. I want to introduce to you that this is the first mention of a specific pillow in the Bible. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. Because of time constraints this morning, I'll just give you a brief overview of this amazing story. I'll skip over a lot of the details so I can quickly get to my point. But I'm confident today, looking out over this wonderful congregation of people, that most of us here today probably know the story of Esau and Jacob. They were twins, and according to the tradition of that time, the oldest was to be given a birthright blessing for being born first, the only reason, just being born first. And with this blessing came a responsibility, a huge responsibility. But it also included a lot of prophetic promise and a double portion of the father's wealth. Esau was the firstborn, but there was something unusual that I believe God put in the heart of Jacob, that when he was old enough to learn about this birthright blessing, he wanted it. He wanted it, and his mother wanted him to have it really bad. And together, they would do anything to see to it that Jacob would get this birthright blessing. Now, we all understand that Esau was a rugged outdoorsman, a hunter, a good cook, what have you. Jacob, on the other hand, was the mama's boy. He hung out in the tent most often with his mother. And as we all know, his mother preferred Jacob and Isaac preferred Esau. We also know that Jacob was quite the conniver. He was a deceiver and he was a liar. But as their father, Isaac was growing older and had for all intents and purposes lost his eyesight knew that his time of death was getting close. So he called in unto him who he thought was Esau and was going to pronounce over him the coveted birthright blessing over him. But Jacob and his mother came up with a brilliant scheme and deceived Jacob's father, Isaac. So instead of Esau receiving the birthright blessing that was rightfully his, It was given to his younger, conniving, lying brother, Jacob. Because of Jacob's horrible deception, 
Esau, as you could imagine, set out on a mission to kill Jacob. He vowed to kill Jacob. He was not interested in forgiveness. He was not interested in reconciliation or restoration. He wanted Jacob dead. It's interesting to me that as this plan unfolded to Esau and, and what had happened to Esau, it was in, it's interesting to me that he was not angry with his mother. She was at the helm of all of this. He was angry only at Jacob. And when Esau realized that he had given the birthright blessing to Jacob instead of Esau, I want you to notice that according to that time and tradition and what have you, Isaac only had one option, and that is to go with it. I gave it to Isaac, or rather to Jacob, and now I'm going to have to do with Jacob what I had done with what I would do with Esau had I given it to him. I'm going to read a little bit lengthy today out of the Bible. It tells the story a little bit better than I can. So this is what Isaac did in Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. He called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. That's the first thing he said. In other words, to put it in our context, we're Jewish people, and if you're going to marry, you need to marry a Jewish person. That has a whole lot more connotation that's a good Bible study for another time. But Jesus did say not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, etc. And apparently, in my, in my opinion and observation of Scripture, Isaac is one of the first in the Bible to set this precedent. So he said, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. I will give thee the blessing. I will give thee the blessing of Abraham. I will give it to you and to your seed with you, and that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. I want you to notice that this promise, this prophetic promise, did not come to pass and would not come to pass in the life of Jacob unless he obeyed that commandment from his father Isaac, do not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Had Jacob not obeyed that, it would have nullified this prophecy. And we have Bible precedent for that. So verse 5, Isaac sent away Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram unto Laban, Son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. When Esau saw that Jacob had, or Isaac had blessed Jacob, and he sent him away to Padan Aram and took a wife uh, from thence, that, uh, that, and that as he blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. He obeyed them. Obedience is so critical. And any pursuit of a relationship with God, if you're not willing to do what God asks you to do, it's really no point really pursuing the relationship. It goes beyond faith. You reach a point where you have to believe in the Word of God, and then you have to obey the Word of God. The Bible teaches that all throughout from beginning to end. And Jacob went out from Beersheba, verse 10, and went to Lord Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. 
He laid down in that place to sleep and he dreamed a dream. And you all know this story. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached into heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. Uh, The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Again, based on Isaac's and Jacob's obedience. As thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all the places where thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land. I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely... The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth or a tithe unto thee. As I mentioned a few moments ago, Jacob is running from his brother's anger and wrath. But as we've just seen in the scripture reading, God was with him. That's important because Jacob was not really worthy, if you will, that God should be with him. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He was an awful man. But the Bible said God spoke to him and said, I will be with you. No doubt Jacob is scared. He's scared from what he's running from. He's scared from his brother. He's facing an uncertain future. Didn't have a clue where he was at. It was getting dark. So God ordains for Jacob in this most uncertain time of his life. Listen to pastor this morning. This is so simple yet so profound. God ordains for Jacob to have an unbelievable, unimaginable rendezvous with a pillow. It's interesting to me that this pillow, Jacob gathered up stones, the Bible said. This pillow was made out of stones. This pillow that God was going to use to speak to his mind was not designed to be comfortable and pleasurable and even enjoyable. It was designed to be a starting point for Jacob. It was the starting point of a new beginning Jacob would begin walking down a path when he laid his head down on that pillow. He would begin walking down a path that would change the course of his future and his family for generations to come. It all began when he laid his head down on a pillow. It was designed to be the foundational and revelatory. It was designed to give Jacob an understanding of his life, his calling, And his purpose had began with his relationship 
with a pillow. It's when he laid his head down to rest. It's when he somehow was able to remove himself from what had happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. And he allowed God to have access, if you will, to his mind, to his attitude, to his spirit, to his heart. I'm asking somebody here today to understand that God has a place for you. He has a destiny for you. He has a calling for you. He has a path for you. But sometimes it requires just stop a little while, settle down, lay your head down, clear your head, and let God begin to develop things in your mind. Again, it was designed to be foundational. God was building something here in Jacob. He was building something in a man who was very weak and unstable. He was building a man who was emotionally insecure and just a very dysfunctional relationship with his parents. But God was doing something with this person, which tells me that God can do these things no matter who we are, no matter what our family's like, no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done. If you're willing to stop for just a little while and listen to the voice of God. God, not my way, but your way is what I want. Remember, this whole thing begins with obedience. It was for Jacob to recognize. It was for Jacob to recognize, and he did. He did it eloquently, as we heard in the Scripture reading. But it was his place to recognize that the hand of God is on me, and God is calling me. I'm accountable to that. I'm responsible to that. I have to receive that. I have to develop that. I have to work with that. So God was going to take him that night laying on a pillow and establish a relationship with him that he would never forget. On this night, God was going to change everything about Jacob's life forever. Jacob would never be the same again after that night. His future was set on a course that no matter what Jacob did, he would never be able to deviate. God called Jacob that night to a very specific identity. He called him to a very specific purpose. God allowed Jacob that night to see things that no man had ever seen before. Not like that. He allowed Jacob to see eternal things. Y'all hear me today. He allowed Jacob that night. He showed Jacob that night eternal things. He showed Jacob everlasting things. He showed Jacob eternal beings. The Bible said he dreamed a dream and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father the God of, of Isaac the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. What do you do with a vision like that? What do you do when you see something of that magnitude and you can't argue with it and it's God and angels and it's the earth connecting to heaven and it's heaven connecting to the earth? No wonder Jacob woke up the next morning and said, God is in this place and I knew it not and this is the house of God and I'm going to call it Bethel. I believe today in my heart that God has something like that for somebody here today. He wants to show you more than you've ever seen. He wants to take you to a place in him you've never been before and yes it's scary yes yeah, scary I know how I felt when I was not when I was called to preach because I didn't accept it I was 15 years old I didn't accept it till I was 25 I remember that night I went and talked to my pastor sister Murphy and I did and I was scared to death not of him 
But I didn't know where this was leading. I didn't know what God was going to do with me and my wife and two kids. I didn't know what was going to happen with our future. You talk about uncertain. And I sat there in the pastor's office and said, I don't know how to say this, but I think God has called me to preach. That's all I could say. I had nothing more theological to say than that. I had no Bible verses, and I couldn't take him back to a place in time. And he looked at me and smiled, and he said, I thought I'd never have this conversation with you. I didn't, I didn't know if you'd ever come or not. So he had known all the while. I thought to myself later, it should have been nice if you would have broached this subject a long time ago. But God took Jacob that night. Yo, yo, listen to pastor. Mom and daddy wasn't that influence anymore. Mama wasn't that influence anymore. Somebody needs to hear this right now. Parents weren't calling the shots anymore, if you will. My brother and his hatred towards me and the vileness that I've done to him and deceiving him, yes, it was wrong, but I wanted that birthright. All of that between him and his brother, that didn't matter anymore. What he saw that night in that vision, I've got to hurry. What he saw that night in that vision, it, it supplanted, it, 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 it took over, it, it overwhelmed all of this other confusion and noise and nonsense going on in his life. I've just heard from God I just got a vision from God. God just showed me something that's revelation. God just opened my understanding. I realized that I'm not this horrible man. And even though I am, doesn't matter. God's calling me anyway. God has a purpose for me anyway. God wants to use me anyway. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God's talking to somebody. If somebody here today will just stop for a moment, God will say something in your ear. And he'll put something in front of you that you can see that says I am God and obey me and do my will and purpose and I'll take you somewhere you've never been before. Everybody clap your hands for the Lord and shout yes. That night he saw in his dream a pathway for God, for God himself to robe himself in flesh and come to this earth. It's talked about in one of the Gospels in the New Testament. God used this dream to reveal the Messiah to mankind. Watch this. Jacob had enough noise and confusion going on in his life that I just illustrated to you. It's interesting to me that that night when he saw this vision, there was no devil in it. There was no Satan in it. There was no hell in it. If you'll lay your head down for a while, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, God can dismiss all the horribleness going on in your life. He can just take it out for a little while and just let you see him uninterrupted by anything else. Has that ever happened to anybody here today? It's happened to me a thousand times when I've been overwhelmed with the world and even sin and all kinds of terrible things. I've had those moments with God and a lot of them I've shared with you where God just took me out of all of the stuff going on around me, all of life going on around me, all the sadness and heartbreak going around me and said, I'm going to block all of that out because I need your undivided attention for a moment. I have something I want to show you. All of this came to pass 
Not because Jacob was a good man or even a great man. Not because he was a man of political clout and influence. Not because he was wealthy. Not because he had a great personality. But because he was willing. He left his father and mother. He left his father and mother and a very angry brother. And he was obedient and did what he was asked to do. The Bible said that he obeyed his parents and was willing to do what they instructed him to do. And all of this came to pass because he was willing to stop running for a while. He was willing to stop running for a while. He set his fear aside. He set his loneliness aside. He set his nagging conscience aside. He set his attitude aside. He, he, he set prior knowledge aside. The birthright blessing wasn't all that important right now. And, and feuding with his brother wasn't important right now. And, and all the stuff going on in his life. That night he was willing to listen to God. That night... He stopped long enough to listen to God and let God take him down a path that would bring him incredible promise and hope and future to his life. There's a host of people here today that God could do similar things for if you would just stop running for a little while and listen to the voice of God. If you could just be willing and obedient. If you could just set your life aside for a little while. Just let God show you what he could do with your life. Jacob was headed for a mess. Jacob's future was not going to get any better unless God intervened in it. There's people here today, you know who you are. Life's not going to get any better until you let God intervene in it. I hope you hear that today. So instead of trying to run from your past and not even having to confront your past, just stop for a moment and listen to the voice of God. Just lay your head down, figuratively speaking, if you will, and let, let God give you peace. Let God give you rest and the promise of a better tomorrow, one that's better than you're facing right now. So on to my text. With that introduction in mind, on to my text. Jesus and his fellow. Even though we may think of boats, when we think of some familiar Bible stories, there really aren't that many boats mentioned in the Bible. There's not a whole lot of pillows and there's not a whole lot of boats, and I'm preaching about both today. There's Noah's Ark, of course. Jonah used a boat to try to escape from God's plan by heading away from Nineveh. Ended up being thrown overboard, kind of the path Jacob was headed on, but he stopped and listened to God. I guess Jacob, no, Jonah had a form of a pillow, but the Bible doesn't call the inside of a whale a pillow, so we won't go down that path. The baby Moses was saved in a very small boat, a basket of reeds woven together. Later in the Bible, Paul traveled a lot by boat and was even shipwrecked. But in between these stories, the Gospels tell us a lot about fishing boats, specifically on the Sea of Galilee. During the time of Jesus and the disciples. I've been there and have ridden in one of the Sea of ridden on the Sea of Galilee in one of these boats that is believed to be similar to that time. I think I have a picture of one. 
course, the one that I rode on looked kind of like that. Looked a whole lot like that, as a matter of fact. But that one had a huge motor on the back of it. I don't think the ones in the Bible had huge motors like the one I rode on did. But it was an amazing experience. Fishing was part of the local economy in Galilee during that time. And the villages of Capernaum and Bethsaida, which means a house of fish, were located on the Sea of Galilee, as was Magdala, which was a fish, and process, a fish processing town. The Sea of Galilee is only about 13 miles long and 7 miles wide and is rich with fish even today. Various sources claim that in Jesus' time there were about 18 to 37 different varieties of fish caught there. Today, three main types of fish are harvested from its waters, including the famous St. Peter's fish, a type of tilapia known to tourists and pilgrims, and I even ate a huge piece of that when I was in Israel a number of years ago, along with an order of French fries, and it was pretty good. But fishing in Jesus' day was hard work, much as commercial fishing remains to this day. And while Jesus himself was not a fisherman, he used fishing boats as a means of transport and for preaching. But most often these boats belonged to fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John or their father Zebedee. But what did these boats really look like? Until Noah's Ark, there was no such description, uh, or excuse me, unlike Noah's Ark, there was no such description of Peter's boat in the New Testament. But however... In the mid-1980s, a first-century fishing boat was discovered in the mud along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The water levels in the sea had been decreasing for several decades. And due to drought and overuse, they were reaching, the, the sea was reaching its lowest level in many, many years. This drop in water level allowed the discovery of this boat that you see on the screen. Two brothers, Moshe and Yuval Lufan, who were themselves fishermen and what they've been referred to as amateur archaeologists, discovered the boat, now officially called the Ancient Boat of Galilee, or the Ancient Galilee Boat. Some people called it, call it the Jesus Boat, the boat which, has, which had been already, uh, was old when it was sunk, was so waterlogged and deteriorated that it took 11 years to safely remove it from the mud to get it to the museum where it is at today. Whether or not the boat belonged to one of Jesus' followers, it doesn't tell us what boats at that time really looked like. We don't know who this boat belonged to. But the boat itself is about 27 feet long, about 7 half feet wide, and about 4 feet deep. It was made of many types of wood, mostly cedar and oak. It used mortise and tenon joinery, which means it was pieced, pieced together with pegs. And it was large enough to hold about 15 people. Fishing boats of that time was designed for fishing out of, out of for sometimes many days and was equipped with all things necessary to sustain a number of men for sometimes a number of days. Here's my point. According to Matthew Henry the, common, the, the great commentator, there was in these little boats what is called the pilot's place. It's called the pilot's place in the ship. 
And according to Mark, in the ship Jesus and his disciples were on that day, there was a pillow in the pilot's place. Obviously, the pilot's place is where the pilot stayed. The pilot of the ship had a place on the ship. And I believe, and a lot of other commentaries believe, that when they all boarded the ship, Jesus went straight to the pilot's place. Why? Well, because he was tired. He had been preaching and ministering all day. But I believe he went to the pilot's place, and this is the biggest reason he went to the pilot's place, is because that's where he belonged. There was a pilot on that ship that outranked whoever owned that ship and would have been the pilot. There was another pilot on the ship. He wasn't the normal pilot. He wasn't the everyday pilot. But when he was on that ship, he was the pilot of that ship. I hope everybody is setting up listening right about now. Every one of us here today is like that fishing boat. We are designed for a purpose. We're to be useful and we're to be profitable in the kingdom of God. And I know people that have boats just for pleasure and partying or for a hobby. As a matter of fact, there's a boat that you can purchase. It's called a party boat. Most people believe that that is what their life is to be lived for. Pleasure and partying. partying. To do, to do what we want to do with our life when we want to do it. This goes back to the obedience thing. I want God on my terms. I want God to see things my way. I want God to be a convenience to me. I want him to be my way maker, as the praise team sang a little while ago, when I need a way to be made. But other than that, I'll make my own way. I won't need him until I'm in trouble. I won't need him until I'm in a dark place. I won't need him until I'm in a hard place. I won't have God on my terms. I want to do life the way I want to. That's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. We were not created to be like that. I believe every person here today was created and born on this planet with a purpose. God designed you for a purpose that's biblical. And when we are to let Jesus, we are to allow Jesus to come aboard into our life and go straight to the pilot's place. That is that place in our heart, that place in our life that was designed for him to dwell and to reside. And your life will never be right until you give him that place. It'll never be right. It'll never be right. I'm so glad. Oh, God, I'm so glad. I surrendered that place in my life to him a long time ago. But I want you to notice, again, this amazing story precedes with a precedent. Just like the story of Jacob, he had to obey his parents. This one does the same thing. Jesus said, let's get in the ship and go on the other side. Okay, they're obeying. They're obeying what Jesus said. But there's that little clause that I referenced that has so much connotation to it. The Bible said they took him even as he was. They didn't try to dress him up and make him look formal. They didn't try to dress him down to make it look like they were going to a party. They didn't try to change Get him to change a few little things on what he taught that day. 
They didn't try to get him to change anything. They took him as he was. Everybody sit up and listen. You can say what you want to say. You can believe what you want to believe. But if you want Jesus to have that pilot's place in your heart, you're going to have to take him as he is. God don't negotiate. He never has. This whole heaven and hell, devil and God and sin and all that began with a negotiation where the devil tried to negotiate with God in heaven. You remember that story? That if you'll bow down and worship me, and the devil tried the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness when the 40 days of temptation, this negotiation thing, God don't negotiate. He had to take him as he is. They didn't try to change him to fit what the family believed. They didn't try to get him to change to fit what they thought was theologically correct. They believed what he taught that day. They believed everything he taught that day. And when he said, let's get into the ship and go the other side, they just said, okay. And Jesus, when you get into the ship, you go straight to the pilot's place. As a matter of fact, we have a pillow. Show you the beauty of obedience, faith and obedience and what have you. I know the Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. I endorse that 100%. But there's another reason that we should give Jesus the pilot's place and give him a pillow in our life. Make sure he has that pillow because that's the way you and him are going to communicate pretty often from now on. Jesus went to the pilot's place, laid his hand on that pillow. He did that, Brad, because he knew what was coming. What a paradox. He knew what was coming. He didn't get on that ship. Y'all hear me? He didn't get on that ship. You ever been on a cruise? The first thing you do on a cruise is they take you to that part of the ship where all the life jackets are. They tell you to wear yours. And they show you the lifeboats and all that. He didn't do none of that. He did the opposite. He did what I've wanted to do on numerous occasions. I don't want to go out there and see all that. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Jesus went straight to the pilot's place. He didn't show them where the life jackets were. There were other little boats around them. You remember that story? He didn't point none of that out. He got on the ship from all we know in the story. And you can read in the other two gospels that reference the story. He didn't say nothing to nobody. He got on the ship, went to the pilot's place, laid his head down on a pillow, and went to sleep knowing what was coming. He wasn't worried about his future. That was God asleep in the pilot's place. He don't have to worry about his future. But neither was he worried about theirs. Because as long as he was on that ship in the pilot's place, it didn't matter what else happened. Boy, that's amazing.
I thought people would be on their feet clapping and shouting amen, praise the Lord, and all that by now. You know what bothers me when people don't let Jesus go to the pilot's place in their life? It's because he, know what, he knows what's coming in their life. And they're not cognizant of that. And they don't really think they need it. Not now. If you would have told them disciples, and they were, some of them were fishermen. They were expert. They were professional. It's what they did for a living until Jesus came along. They knew how to read the weather. But they didn't that night. They couldn't predict their future that night. They had no idea what was on their horizon. But neither did they understand that they didn't have to worry about it either because of who was on their ship and where he was. It didn't matter what he was doing. It just mattered that he was on that ship. Y'all not hearing me right now. He knew the storm was coming. He knew the wind was going to be turbulent. He knew the lightning was going to light up the sky. He knew the thunder was going to boom and cause them great fear. He knew the waves were going to beat into that ship. He knew that they were going to be bailing water out of that ship. He knew they were going to be terrified. He knew their faith would be shaken. He knew that they would not be able to control the direction of the ship. He knew that they would never be able to make it to the other side without him. He knew all of that. Never said a word. He never prepared them. He didn't have to. Because he, by reason of the fact of being on the ship, would take care of everything. Want everybody here today, not today, know. He knows what your future holds. He knows about your next trial and hardship. He knows about your calamity. He knows about the dark night. He knows about the next death in your family. I was at a funeral this week. A man had been in the hospital. He was 85. But he'd been in the hospital, had a lot of health issues, but the doctor said he was okay. Died the next night in his sleep. You don't know what say, I'm not trying to scare anybody. This is just a reality. You don't know when you're going to lose your job. You don't know when marital trouble is coming. You don't know when your spouse is not going to be faithful. You don't know what lies ahead of your kids when they get up and go to school uh, tomorrow and the next coming week. You don't know what they're going to experience and what they're going to be exposed to. There's not a place where you can go in your life that he hasn't already been there. So why not invite him into your life and put him in that place where he belongs? Invite him. Encourage him. God, I want you here. It doesn't matter how things look now. I may not need you that bad today, but for God's sake, he knows if you're going to need him tomorrow or not. I'm saying to you today, give God access to your life, to your heart. I'm almost done. Don't you think it'd be wise to have him in your life, in the pilot's place, leading, guiding, and directing? Notice that night in the middle of the storm. He was asleep. He knew the storm was coming. He knew what their reaction would be to it. He knew all of that. And he gets on that ship and lays his head down on a pillow, knowing what's coming. Not just the storm, but having to deal with these 12 disciples. 
and went to sleep. He was completely at rest. He showed them and revealed to them that because he was God, it didn't matter what his future held. He was at peace no matter what happens. And because of that, and because of him being in our life, so can we. This is the lesson of Jesus in his pillow. Watch this. Finally, their faith was weak, but their prayer was strong. In the past, when I read this story, I've tried to identify with the disciples. In the midst of chaos, I can bail water with the best of them. I can hustle. I can scream with the best of them. But here lately, I hear Jesus asking me a question. This pillow in the pilot's place, it's not for me. The Bible said he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. You remember that? The pillow is not for me. The pillow is actually for you. I'm just showing you how to use it when I'm in your pilot's place. Jesus is offering some people here today a cushion during your chaos. He's offering to you a soft place, a restful place, a place of contentment. So after all, he, he is Jesus. And it was not that God was asleep, just the human form. The man Jesus was asleep. Jesus showed them that even if you know what's coming, you can lay your head down to rest. And I'll give you direction. And I will keep you in the palm of my hand no matter what happens. As you stand with me this morning and musicians come, I want to go down this path again. That, and all of you know the story, but I can't think of one that's more exemplary than this one. Dawson, you've been used an example and you will be for the rest of your life. An illustration. Hope you're okay with that. But I remember that Sunday afternoon when Brother Dave called me and voice trembling and Pastor, there's something wrong with Dawson. We're at the hospital. He was ultimately diagnosed with leukemia. I've realized a long time ago that I'm not Jesus. sometimes it's challenging to try to comfort somebody when they're in that place. How old was Dawson at the time? Ten. Ten years old. The physicians at the Lay the Lake Hospital did the best they could. And as I remember, one of the doctors standing in the room that afternoon said, I believe he has leukemia and that's beyond our expertise here. Farrah flew with Dawson to St. Jude in a jet airplane. Sister Murph and I drove Brother Dave. All the way there, Dave would have his moments of highs and lows and 
we would laugh and talk and then a few minutes later I would look and Dave would be looking out the window and I could see his reflection and he had his face in his hands sobbing Jesus was not only teaching the bunch family a lesson that that afternoon that night but he taught me one he's taught Sister Murph one he's taught Grace Church one he's taught families all around this area that knows about the situation God gave them a pillow there's landmarks all throughout that story did God heal Dawson instantly of leukemia no but what God did do is he furnished them a pillow during that time God has spoken invaluable lessons, sermons Bible studies he's given their lives direction gave them comfort he's given them peace you know how all that happened it's because Jesus was firmly residing in the lives of the bunch family in the pilot's place Jesus was illustrating to them how easy it is to go to sleep on a pillow when everything around you is nothing but chaos. And Jesus is here this morning to share his pillow with some people here. I'm not a prophet. Certainly don't want to be a prophet of doom and gloom. But nobody here today knows what tomorrow holds. You'd be very wise to take advantage of this moment to just make sure your calling and election is sure. Make sure God is in that place in your heart where he needs to be. You need to make sure of that. Not just because you should submit your body to him a living sacrifice, but because he knows what your future holds. And he's here this morning. He has a pillow he wants to share with you. He wants to give you comfort. He wants to give you peace before the calamity ever comes. And if it does and when it does, he still has that amazing ability to say, peace, be still. I've often wondered, did he really say that to the sea? The sea responded. But did he say that to his disciples? And the sea's the only one that responded. There's people here today, you have a lot of chaos and turbulence in your life. Don't pass it off and think, I can handle this and I'll take care of it. Why don't you have God come in and let him let him be that God that he can be and keep you in a safe place as your future unfolds in the coming days and weeks. As they begin to sing softly as our mannery is here today, I want to invite everybody to come. Young folks, make sure he's there. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. Everybody come around the front if you will. Everybody come. We're not going to bother you. We don't. We don't do that here. Just want you to come and just have a moment with you and God where God can come into your life even more. Invite even more of Him. Take Him as He is. Take Him as He is. Quit fussing with God about stuff. Just do what God wants you to do. Be what God wants you to be. And let God be that anchor, that Savior for things that may come into your life tomorrow. As they begin to sing softly.
Let him be the God in your life that he wants to be. Let him be that God that he wants to be. Let him be that person in your life, that influence, that, that anchor, that rock. Let him share with you things about spiritual things, heavenly things. Let God talk to you here today, everybody. 